you kids. Thank you, kids. I'm going to invite all of our kids, if you'll follow Pastor Katrina through this door over here to my right, your left. She'll take you to kids' worship. Not only our kitty prep kids, but all of our kids, you're welcome to go. Moms and dads are going to stay here, and we're going to continue hearing from God's Word. But Pastor Katrina has a message from God's Word for you. Moms and dads, right after the conclusion of our gathering, you can pick up your children. You can go through this door, and there'll be some people to help you know how to check out your kids from kids' worship. Don't you appreciate Deb and Tori and Wanzi and the Kitty Prep crew and all their work? Thank you, guys. I tell you what, our kids are not only a treasure to the Lord, they're a treasure to us. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to house Kitty Prep here. And we love having your kids a part of our church, part of our ministries. And they did an excellent job in leading us in worship today. I want to encourage you, grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Mark. And uh, if you're not quite sure where Mark is, if you take your Bible and split it in half, it'll be in the right hand there. It's at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Um, If you don't have your Bible with you, um, we'll have the scripture up on the screen. Uh, If you like to take notes, if that helps your learning style to write some things down, in your bulletin there's a blue sheet of paper to help you, but that's just to help you. And if you're new around Grace Point, you need to learn this phrase, that if you don't like taking notes, if you're too cool to take notes, you can find someone to your left and your right and just tell them, I am too cool to take notes, take them for me. You know, so Keith, you just turn to your wife, you just say, you know, I'm too cool to take notes, just take them for me. And they'll do it for you, it's great, it's a wonderful thing. But if that's a blessing to you, you utilize it, if not, don't worry about it. Uh, But as we kick off a new series today, it's entitled, Dare to Be a Disciple, to Be a Real Follower of Jesus. I want us to look this morning at what it really means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be an authentic, to be a real Christian? I want to start by sharing, I'm I'm concerned because I think our culture, and it's begun to ooze into the church, has a very skewed idea of what it means to be a Christian. It's a very watered down, it's a very different idea than what God's word actually says a follower of Christ is. It's not about your upbringing. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your church membership. It's not about the things that you say you ascribe to believe, a system of beliefs that you agree with. It's more than all of those things. It can affect those things, but it's more than that. And my concern is that if we are not really clear on what a true biblical Christian is, we could be around the things of God. We could be in and around church and never ever get the whole true meaning of what this is all about. And, and I want us to look at God's word. And before we do that, I, I want to share a quick story with you. I remember it was about, oh, eight or nine years ago now. I had a friend who went to New York City and they brought back to me a gift from New York City. And uh, this is a friend that was a trusted friend of mine. I cared for them. They cared for me. Uh, and they had great respect for me, but, but they weren't a wealthy person. And when I opened up this gift, I was surprised because I opened up this gift and I saw that it was a watch and I looked at the watch and it said Rolex on the watch. Now, this was a trusted friend and I I appreciated them. I know they appreciated me, but I knew they weren't a wealthy person, so I began to be a little bit suspect about the gift that they were giving to me, just kind of like you would, you know, if someone would just give you a Rolex watch. Now, I'm not a big jewelry guy, I'm definitely not a watch guy, but I knew that a Rolex was kind of an expensive watch, and so after I had left that gift-giving time, I went online and I began to, to look online for ways to tell if a Rolex is authentic and real. 
I found a website, and it had a, a half a dozen things that you could do to check to see if this was an authentic watch or not. And I, I looked at number one. It said, look on the watch, read the brand name Rolex, and make sure it's spelled right. Kind of obvious. And I looked at it, and it, it was spelled right. The font was right. It looked just like it did on the computer screen. I'm thinking, all right, this is a good sign. It says Rolex. Looks right. And, and then I went to the second litmus test, the checklist. And it said, over the date... On the watch, you know, the, the wheel that turns until the date, there should be a magnifying glass in the crystal on the watch. And so I looked at the watch and I saw the picture on the screen and there was a magnifying glass over the date. Looking better. I don't even like watches that much, but I'm kind of getting excited. And then we went on to the, the third aspect and it said, you know what? If you turn the watch over for this model and make and this year of a, of a Rolex, that there should be a hologram sticker on the back of the watch that has the Rolex logo on it. Kind of hard to, to fake that hologram sticker, and it should be right there on the back. And I turned the watch over, and I looked at it. Sure enough, the exact hologram sticker that was on the computer screen was on the watch. Now I'm starting to get real excited and surprised at this gift that I've been given. And the final thing that I read was that you should see the serial number inscribed on the back of that watch, the, the numbers and letters, and you enter them into this database on the computer, and it'll pop up a picture of what the model and make of that watch should be. It should match for this. So I entered it in. You wouldn't believe it. Up pops the exact picture of the watch that I'm holding in my hand. I... I I didn't know what to think. I mean, I had read through these things. All the markers of an authentic Rolex is here. But yet, I, I know the person who gave me this gift isn't wealthy. I wasn't quite sure. So I took it to a jeweler, really to confirm what I thought I had found. And, and I handed the watch to the jeweler, and he said, you know, all these things that you're telling me, they look right. The logo, the name is spelled right. It's in the right place. The, the magnifying glass over the date is right. It, you're, you're correct. That's how you look at that. The sticker on the back is right. The serial number is exactly right. He said, but there's one thing that's a dead giveaway. I said, what is that? He said, it, it doesn't work. And, and I kind of seen that, you know, it wasn't quite moving right. He said, but it, it doesn't work. I thought, well, maybe it needs a new battery. It needs to be wound differently or something like that. And he said, you know what? The only way for me to know really is to pop the back off and look on the inside. And, and when he looked on the inside, the guts, he said, this is a cheap knockoff. He said, it is fake, and it has failed probably years ago. And, and I share that story with you because I, I am so concerned for us as a culture, as a people, as a church, that we can have all this information about what it means to be a Christian. I mean, it can look like a Christian. It can have the markings of a Christian. It can have the serial number of a Christian. And we need to look and see, okay, in what I'm subscribing to, what I'm a part of, is it authentic biblical Christianity, or is it something else? It can look similar, but still be utterly fake on the inside. And our text this morning will help us with this task of finding out what it means to be a true, a real Christian. Jesus is giving us a message, and the first thing I want you to jot down is this, that Jesus gives a two-part message. It's summarized in these two parts. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist, he was preparing the way for Jesus, uh, telling people that the Messiah would come, and the religious leaders didn't like it. They, they, they put him in prison. After John was put into prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, obviously, Jesus 
I've said more than just these two sentences, but this is Mark's summary of Jesus' message, of his actual words. This is the, the crux of his good news message is this. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now this first part, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist had come to prepare the way for Jesus. The time which John had spoke about had arrived. This was the time. And verse 15 can also be translated that the time is fulfilled. So that's the sense of where this passage is coming from. The people of Jesus, Jesus' day, they would be very familiar with the concept of God's kingdom. God's kingdom referred to God's reign or rule over all things. They knew that God was sovereign and would rule over everything, yet they also knew that God had allowed his people to be under the rule, under the, the authority of other nations as a result of their sin and a result of their idolatry. But they also knew that one day God would deliver them from all of their enemies and that he would rule over all the nations again in a perfect and just righteousness. And now Jesus says, that time has come. The time that you've read about in the Old Testament, the time that had been prophesied, the time for the kingdom of God has come. As we continue in this series, we'll see what it means for the kingdom of God to come. It's, it's in Jesus Christ, and he is fulfilling that prophecy at that moment, but the kingdom of God has also continued to come and will continue to be fulfilled. But in that moment, in essence, Jesus is proclaiming this. He's saying, I am here... The time is now. The first part of this gospel message, to understand what Jesus is all about, it is so key to see that it's centered on him. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. And when Jesus shows up, you don't need to wait for anything else. It's important to know this morning, as we look at the litmus test for what it means to be a real Christian, has Jesus showed up in your life? If you call yourself right with God, you think that everything is okay in your soul, but you've never ever had an encounter with Jesus, I would say there's a good chance that what you think is right with God is not right. Because it centers in on Jesus himself, and when he shows up, he changes everything. And when he shows up, you don't need to delay. The time is now. Don't wait to understand everything. Don't wait to try to get yourself cleaned up. Don't wait to try to get things right. When Jesus comes, when he shows up, the time for deliverance is now. That's what he proclaimed. That was the first part of his message. But here's the second. There's the invitation that he gives, and it says to repent and believe the good news. Now, this is so key because I think this is one of the litmus tests that so many uh, fakes, so many frauds, so many Christian phonies miss out on is this part of Jesus' message that talks about repentance and belief in the good news. It's because that this is not really, you know, consumer-friendly. This is not like politically correct speech that makes everybody feel good. I, I like the idea of Jesus and him loving me and, and giving me things, but the repenting part, I, I don't know if I'm all in for that. I'm not sure if that really uh, applies to me, but this is central to his message. If we don't repent, if we don't believe, we miss out on his healing, on his wholeness, on his salvation. 
So what does it mean to repent? Repent literally means to turn 180 degrees to go in the opposite direction. So if I'm going this way in my sin, I'm living for myself. To repent says to stop, I turn, and now I go a different way, away from my sin. Well, how do I repent? I mean, how can I, if I am everything in my being moving my own way, how do I repent? Confession is a part of repentance. When I confess my sin, when you confess your sin, it's the first step in repentance. Now, some of these big words, I want to unpack them. They don't need to be big. They don't need to be complicated, but they're very important. And I don't want to, like, just throw these words away because we need to re-educate ourselves on what these mean. Confession, it's this. It means to say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. Now, I also want to, you know, I don't want to assume we know what sin means. Sin is the things that I have said and I have done wrong. The things that you have said and done wrong in God's eyes. And so when I confess my sin, I'm saying the same thing about my sin that God says about it. Well, that doesn't sound complicated. Well, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's absolutely necessary. I cannot repent, I cannot turn and go the other direction unless I confess my sin, unless I say this word, thought, and deed that is not right with God, I'm going to say the same thing about it that God says about it. But here's what we're tempted to do. The phony, the, the false, the, the, the people-pleasing idea of Christianity is not okay with this. We have to stop rationalizing our sin. What do you mean? It's amazing the things that, if we're honest, the word, thoughts, and deeds that are not okay with God, we come up with all kinds of ways to rationalize it. Well, I know it's not exactly right, but it's not that bad. It's just, a, it's just, a little, just a little bit of sin. In fact, I'm wanting to do some good, and so if I just do a little bit of bad in order to, to get a lot of bit of good done, then that, that kind of evens out, doesn't it? Rationalizing our sin. We have to stop rationalizing our sin to confess our sin. We have to stop ex- making excuses for our sin. Well, it's not really my fault. What I said, what I did, what I thought, my attitude, it's not really my fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my employee's fault. It's that stinking government's fault. It's everybody else's fault but my own. We have to stop making excuses. We have to stop blaming other people. Here's one of the biggest. We have to stop ignoring or denying that we have willful disobedience in our life. And sometimes you say, well, that's, say what you want to say, preacher, that's good. That's not me. I haven't said anything wrong or done anything wrong, thought anything wrong. I'm good. God and I are good. Well, I hope so. But we need to stop to confess and repent. We have to stop ignoring it. You know, when we're kids, sometimes you just, people scare you, you close your eyes and they all go away and then you're not scared anymore. <laughs> That, that ignorance may be bliss until you find out. You open your eyes and it's still there. That, that you can close your eyes to sin, but your sin hasn't gone anywhere. It's still there. It's still decaying. It's still eating away at your heart. And it's not that Jesus is this cosmic killjoy that wants you to find a needle in a haystack and he wants to zap you if you don't do it right. He says, hey, I want you to have the best life possible, to live life to the fullest, to have the most joy in life possible. And I've created you to move and to work this way. But when you insist on doing things that I never created you to do, it will hurt you and hurt everyone else. Confess and repent. When we confess and repent, 
and Jesus leads us to the next part, to believe, to place your trust and your weight on Jesus. Now this is so key. If we're going to like inspect our faith, if we're going to look and see the logo and the magnifying glass and the hologram sticker and the serial numbers and take the back off and see the inner guts of what's going on in our faith, this part of belief is huge. It's more than just mentally subscribing to a system of beliefs or facts about Jesus. Now hear me. It's important what you think about Jesus. But that's not what this word belief means in this context. It's, it's more in line with trusting or placing my weight on or depending on or counting wholly or solely upon. And so when I'm believing or placing my weight in or I'm dependent on the good news of Jesus Christ, it's saying that without Jesus I'm lost, I'm sunk, I'm done. My belief in Jesus is my dependence upon him. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do I know if my faith is counterfeit? If, if your source of faith is in anything other than Jesus himself, your good works, your pedigree, anything, what you pay, what you earn, what you did, what you didn't do, if it's in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's a fake. It may be a good fake, but it's broken. You may fool everyone else around you, but it won't work. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragic thing to think that we go through all the exterior motions to have faith, but never ever have the joy and the freedom and the forgiveness and the power of God in our life. Friend, if you're pretending to walk the Christian walk, can I tell you, I've been there, it's so exhausting, just quit. It's not worth it. Let the authenticity of Jesus make all the difference in your life. Well, we'll get there in just a minute. Not yet. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's simply what we just said. When I confess, I say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. That Jesus is Lord. I'm confessing that he's in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of my life. He's now in charge of me. I'm going to be obedient to him. And believe on, trusting, placing my weight. I'm dependent on Jesus Christ. I can have the assurance that I'm saved. And this is what Romans 10.9 tells us. You see, we need both faith and we need repentance. Without faith, repentance becomes despair. So if I'm just acknowledging how sinful I am, but I don't place my trust and my dependence upon Jesus Christ, I have reason to be utterly depressed. But without repentance, my faith is only presuming on God. So if I just say, yeah, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, but I never ever repent, I never turn from my sin, I never confess, I'm just presuming on God. Some people, they say, you know what? God's got this great thing going on. I just love God. I love being willfully disobedient, and God loves forgiving. It's amazing. we got this great deal going on. I just be disobedient, disobedient, disobedient. He just forgives, forgives, forgives. We're a great match. It's great. And God says, no, no, no. That's not what I have for you. I want to give you a victorious life. I'm not saying you'll never ever be without error. I'm not saying that you'll never ever miss the mark. But I'm saying willful disobedience. I've come to set you free from that. There's hope in that. That's what authentic Christianity is about. That's the message. It doesn't have to be complicated. People like me make it complicated. It doesn't need to be. Jesus says, I'm here. The time is now. Confess your sin and believe 
and the good news. Repent and believe in the good news. But Jesus' message, let's read on, didn't just stop with the message. He gives a call, a call to action. When he shares the message, he elicits a response from people. Back in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about how whenever Jesus would teach, it forced people to act. They didn't all always agree. They didn't always follow him. But they were forced to do something with what he said. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. He was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay, so you got these two fishermen. And Jesus said to me, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus tells these guys. So let's unpack this together. First, this call that Jesus gives us, eliciting a response. He says, come, follow me. Hear this. Jesus didn't call us to observe him. He didn't call us to simply read about him. He didn't call us to merely talk about him. He called us to follow him. Christianity, as simple as I can put it, it means first and foremost to follow Jesus. If I could only say it in one sentence, if you could only hear one thing today, it's this. An authentic Christian is one who follows Jesus. Everything else is just like side stuff. Are you following Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that there can't be examples or mentors in your life. In fact, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But it's important to know who you are following. And are they really following Jesus? Friend, you are following someone or something. I promise you. No, Brady. I'm a leader. I'm not a follower. I'm a trailblazer. I'm a first responder. I don't follow. I lead. Well, good. I, you probably have those giftings. I'm glad that you're a leader. But you're following somebody's example. You're standing on the shoulders of someone who went before you, other leaders. There's some kind of philosophy or some kind of principle in life that you're uh, subscribing to. There's some person you look up to. What is guiding them? You are following someone or something, and where is it taking you? I want to suggest that there are some people who are following things that are very similar, that may look like biblical Christianity, but if you're not careful, you're following something that will take you in a very different direction. Those of you who are part of the Grace Point family, you've heard me talk a little bit, probably sick of hearing me talk about this little adventure that my wife and I took in a bicycle journey. If you're new to Grace Point, we, I don't know, we thought it'd be a good idea to ride our bicycles across the state of Iowa, uh, 519 miles across the state of Iowa, and if you get your Google Maps out, you can figure out that it's not that far to cross Iowa, but this bicycle trip that we took on, the people who led it made you do this, and so they added miles, because I don't know, they're evil, I don't know why, but we did 519 miles. And before this trip, I thought that Iowa was flat. It is not flat. We climbed over 15,000 feet. That wasn't just straight up. You know, it's just counting the uphill, not the downhill, because that's all I counted. I didn't care about how much I could coast. I cared about what I had to climb again. And, and there was a lot of hills and a lot of miles and a lot of climbing. And, and, and when you would ride on a ride like this, I'm told that it's the longest uh, going bicycle touring event. It's the longest in miles, and it's the largest bicycle touring event Ever, anywhere in the world, I guess. That's what they say. I don't know if it's true or not. And when you're riding with your closest 10,000 to 20,000 friends, depending on which day and how many people participated, you learn that you don't need a map. You just follow the bikes. You just follow all the thousands of people riding their bikes. The chances of you being the first person up to ride is pretty slim. The chances of you being the last person to ride your bike is pretty slim. So you just kind of learn over a few days. Oh, look, there goes the masses. Just kind of follow them. That's good. And there's little orange arrows that are marked, mar mapped out so you can kind of follow them. But, but really, you just learn to follow the bikes. 
And that worked so well for us until about the middle of our, our journey, middle of our week. And this one morning, <coughs> some of the people that we were riding with from our little group were with us, and we were just following the bikes in front of us, and something happened that hadn't happened before. Of all the people in front of us, half of them went straight, and the other half went left. And I didn't know what to do. I couldn't see any orange arrows anywhere, and so we had a choice to make. And one of the people in the group said, hey, the people who went straight, that looks like a real busy road. And, and they were kind of like worried about getting hit by cars or something. And we're just like ignorant. We think, oh, no, that will never happen. And we'll, we'll just, we should go for it. They said, no, 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 let's, let's go left. It looks safer to go to the left. I didn't really care about the safer part, but they looked like pretty good cyclists. They like had really nice gear on. They were riding fast. I'm like, well, they must know what they're doing. Okay, we'll follow the people who go to the left. So we went to the left with them. And, and what I thought, they probably had some knowledge that they were going to cut off a little bit of corner, maybe a shortcut. You know, I'm all about finishing the race, but if I can take a shortcut, I want to take that. You know, 510 miles sounds just as good as 519 to me. Let's, let's take the shortcut. And so we follow these people, what I thought would be just a little bit of a jaunt. One mile, two miles, three miles, four miles. We're no longer on the road like everybody else. We're on this little bicycle path. And when I finally got up to them, I said, hey, are you guys a part of Ragbri, this ride that we're on? And I saw that they had a Ragbri t-shirt on. It was from years past, so I figured they just knew what they were doing. They said, oh, well, well, we were, but we're just going to go meet some friends in another town. <laughs> I had gone four miles out of my way. There were hills on this bicycle path that were not prescribed for me to take. I didn't need extra hills. I wanted less hills. And this thing about doing this bicycle journey, even though it's long and it's hilly and there's all these people, they've got ambulances there to protect you. They've got police officers there to monitor the intersections. Everybody's trying to sell you water and food. You've got support all the way. On these four miles, nothing. <laughs> Nobody was there to help me. It wasn't safe. I didn't feel full. I didn't get my thirst quenched. Uh, and it was a waste. Now, I, I got back, but all the rest of that day, I was aggravated. When everybody else got to ride 76 miles, I rode 81 miles. And I wasn't happy about it. Friend, it's important to know who you're following. They had been on the journey before, but they had different plans. They looked like everybody else. It looked to be the better way. But out of ignorance, I don't know, or stupidity or, or weariness, I just, we followed the wrong way. You know what my first response was? <laughs> I didn't tell first service this. I'll tell you guys this. My first response was that lady in our group, which wasn't my wife. I'm not, I'm not that silly. I'm not going to confess that. That lady in our group, I, I wanted to blame her. If she wasn't so afraid, we would never have done that. The reality was I made my own choice. I could have said, no, we're going to go this way. Whenever you find yourself on the wrong path, you ever find yourself really wanting to blame everybody else? Well, I never really intended to be here. It's my husband's fault. My wife's fault. My parents just trained me to do this. Friend, the only mark of an authentic Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, come follow me. And then he has the audacity to say this next part. I think this is probably what makes a lot of people really mad and end up rejecting Jesus. But let's look at it. We need to look at it. The next part, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. You say, okay, so what's the big deal about that? Well, I want you to hear this. Many people desire the more of what Jesus has to offer, but are unwilling to surrender to the less it will require of themselves. 
When you truly follow Jesus, you cannot stay the same. He will make you more like him. And so he will increase and inevitably you will have to decrease to make room for his increase in your life. As short as I can say it is this. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can't stay the same. He will change you to be more like him. Now, if you view being a follower of Jesus like buying some stock, adding to your portfolio of one more collection to your security, but you have no desire for that stock to control your life, you're there to control it. It's there to serve you. You've got this phony idea of Christianity. I don't care what the brand says. I don't care if you have the magnifying glass, if you've got the sticker, the serial number. Open it up. It's dead. It's fake. It's never, ever worked. And friend, I want to tell you, Jesus is so real. The gospel is so good. His forgiveness is so deep that you don't want to accept any phony. No matter how convenient it sounds, no matter how comfortable you feel, it is always more costly to accept the phony than the great riches of the authentic life with Jesus. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can never stay the same. Well, is that because Jesus is so greedy, or he has all this red tape, or he just wants to get me to jump through hoops? No, no, no. Why would Jesus give us the key to unlock us from the chains of sin and carnality in our life, and we say, oh, thanks, Jesus, for the key, and we unlock the key, but we just keep the chains hanging on us? Well, Jesus, I kind of like these chains. He says, no, no, I set you free so you can be free indeed. I set you free so you don't have to live a life of a slave anymore. Stop it. Let me bring you out of this. It's out of his love for you that he calls you to follow him. Well, in our last couple moments of closing, Jesus had a message. It wasn't complicated. It was very simple, yet very profound. It was very simple. I am here. The time is now. Repent and believe in me. That's the message. Then he elicited a response. He gave some marching orders. He said, hey, you've heard it. Come follow me. And I'm going to make you into something that you're not. I'm going to make you like me. But whenever Jesus does that, we need to respond. What's an appropriate response? What's a a good response? How should we respond? Look at how the disciples responded. 18 through 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and went away to follow him. We're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks and what that really means, what it looks like, and, and everything in me. I don't want to over-emotionalize this part, but it's so important. How you respond to Jesus is so important. And an appropriate response is immediate obedience to Jesus. Well, I'm not so sure that I understand everything. You're not supposed to understand everything. I'm not so sure that I'm ready. Well, is this on his time or your time? He's here. The time is now. It's not about you. It's about him anyway. Friend, delayed obedience very quickly becomes disobedience. In other words, not now, God. I'm not saying that every time it's right away, but very quickly, not now, God, becomes no way, God. And so I I, I caution you. Don't delay When he's here, the time is now. Respond when he calls. Not only is it instant obedience, they left everything else behind. 
I know this isn't like what I'm supposed to say to like win people over and like have a great consumer product, you know, and say, well, you know, it's a great deal. Hey, it's going to cost you everything. <laughs> everything, 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 everything. Not because God's broke, not because he's greedy, because he knows that everything he is is so far greater than everything that you and I are not. And while it costs you everything, it is worth everything. Why do we have the name Grace Point? Because this is a place where we have encountered Jesus and we have gotten what we don't deserve. It is called grace. It's not that we've done God a favor and we've, you know, finally started living for him. God should be so thankful that Grace Point is here. This is silliness. God came running after us while we were yet sinners. While you and I were still thumbing our nose at God, he sent his son to die for us. He said, I'm going to chase you down. I love you so much. And I love you so much, I don't want just some pseudo stamp. I want you to follow me. I don't want you just to kind of add me to your portfolio. I want to be in charge of your life. I want to change your life because I want you to have the best life possible. Well, why do we do silly car show things and, and have kids come jump around on stage? and just, Friends, because when you experience, when you encounter Jesus and it changes everything, he fills you with your, his joy. And you can't keep it inside. And you want to tell someone else. Not come join my club or, or be a part of just my denomination or just kind of do what I do. Experience this Jesus. This is what happened in the disciples' life. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack what it means to dare to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. But as our time is done this morning, I want to leave you with these words from David Platt. There are really some questions that I couldn't really phrase any better than he did, so let me read his questions to us. Do we really believe Jesus is worth abandoning everything for? Do we really believe that Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding, that we'll leave all that we have, all that we own, all that we are, in order to find our fulfillment in him? Do you and I believe him enough to obey him and follow him wherever he leads? Friend, Jesus is here today. He's extending the same invitation to you and me. The good news, this gospel of Jesus, this message will cost you everything, but it is worth everything. I'd like you to pray with me in just a minute. Not yet, but like in a minute. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If that freaks you out in a minute, we bow our heads and close our eyes. If you want to close your eyes, just stare at your shoes. My heart is that we just shut out every distraction. Shut out our watch, shut out our phone, shut out the person next to us. And I want us to hear from God Almighty, okay? So would you do that with me? Would you just bow your head? And if you're comfortable closing your eyes, do that. If not, just stare at your shoes. Because it's not really that important what I have to say. Because who cares what Brady has to say? But it's of eternal importance what this author of all life has to say through us, to us. God the Father and through his son Jesus. Friend, Jesus is here now. And the time is now. And I don't know, I've not been like told some kind of word. But my guess in a room this size, there's some people here today that you have... Never, ever heard of Christianity the way we talk about it today. Or at least you have never, ever surrendered yourself to be a follower of Jesus the way that we've talked about it today. And on behalf of Christ followers everywhere, I want to apologize to you. This phony idea of being a Christian is not right. It's... it's Gloom and doom, it's pride, it's selfishness, it's institutionalism, it's all these other things. But I don't want to fixate on what has been wrong. Friend, I want you to see what is right in Jesus. 
And if you're here today and you say, I, I, I want to experience Jesus in my life, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to pray with me. But this may make you feel uncomfortable, and my goal is not to make you uncomfortable, but every time Jesus met someone and gave the message, he called them to, to give an act of faith, to step out and to, to go on record. And right there at your seat, I'm not going to ask you to get up or move or do anything, and your head is bowed, I'd like your eyes to be closed, no one is looking but me, but if Jesus has been speaking to you, and you would like to ask Jesus to be Lord in your life, You want to be a Christian. You've never, ever done this. This is your first time, or at least in this way before. It's never happened. If that's you and God's speaking to you, I'd like you just to raise your hand real high and then put it down. Raise your hand up and put it down. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I don't want to miss anybody. If God's speaking to you and you would like to be a Christian this way, you just raise your hand. You don't need to keep up long. You just just put it down. Okay? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I feel like Jesus is calling me to recommit my life to him in this way. I've allowed this cultural idea of what Christianity is to to creep in. That's not who I am. That's not what I want. And I want to rededicate, reaffirm my faith in Jesus alone, by faith in Christ alone. If that's you today and Jesus is speaking to you, I want you just to raise your hand. You don't have to keep it up. Just raise your hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Good. I don't want to miss anybody. If, if that's you, Jesus wants you to act on that. Raise your hand. We're going to pray in just a minute. Very good. Friends, as I pray, it's not that important that you get every word the same way that I say it because it's not about my words, but it's about the intent of our heart. And as I pray out loud, I invite you to pray in your mind and your heart. And allow it to be your prayer. Father God, I confess my sin to you right now. I know there's things that I have said and done wrong, and I know those are sin. And it separates me from you. Would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, with your help, I want to repent and go the opposite direction in obedience to you. Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust, my weight on you today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me now. Father, I thank you for these, my friends, that are following your word, that you are the only way. You are the truth, you are the life. And Lord, as they have just confessed, they have just repented, they are just giving a statement of their belief and their weight upon you right now, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'll remind them that your word, Romans 10, 9, gives them the assurance that this moment you have saved them. And this is not the end, this is the beginning of a journey with you. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters who have loved you, they live for you, they're following you, but they're rededicating their life today. They want to be a disciple, a follower of you, not some kind of a cultural, religious person that just adds you to their portfolio. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our midst. We give you the glory and the praise. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your great attention to God's word today.
It's my prayer that you will be blessed by your attention that you've given to God. And I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer today, or if God was speaking to you, and maybe you didn't raise your hand, God was speaking to you, this is just the beginning. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of a great adventure and journey. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to dare to be a disciple and what Jesus wants to do in our life. But tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to talk about this race, this journey, and how we can finish strong. Maybe you've been living for Jesus for decade upon decade upon decade. Hey, it's not just about the beginning. It's about how we run the race. It's how we finish the race. And if you don't have plans tonight at 6 o'clock, I invite you to come back as we dive into God's word about this race of following him. But church, would you stand with me? As you go today, I want to invite you to celebrate the goodness of our God. You have 10,000 reasons and more to give him praise. In fact, you were wired, you were created to give him praise. So when the enemy wants you to talk about yourself or the bad things in politics or something else going wrong, we can't talk about those things, I guess, but, but just stop it for a little bit and just talk about how good God is. See what it does to your soul. It feels good. There's joy when we lift up the name of Jesus. And it's not just for feeling good sake or because we like to, you know, have fun. It's because that our Redeemer lives, we have hope. And because Jesus, the Messiah, is the answer for everything. He is here. The time is now. Believe in the good news. Repent and follow him. May God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us. You're just